The Charm of 5.30, a poem by David Berman. It's too nice a day to read a novel set in England. We're within inches of the perfect distance from the sun, the skies, blueberries, and cream, and the wind is as warm as air from a tire. Even the headstones in the graveyard seem to stand up and say, hello, my name is. It's enough to be sitting here on my porch, thinking about Kermit Roosevelt's following the course of an ant, or walking out into the yard with a cordless phone to find out if she's going to be there tonight. On a day like today, what looks like bad news in the distance turns out to be something on my contact. Carports and white courtesy phones are spontaneously reappreciated, and random okays ring throughout the backyards. This morning, I discovered the red tints in cola when I held the glass of it up to the light and found an expensive flashlight in the pocket of a winter coat I was packing away for summer. It all reminds me of that moment when you take off your sunglasses after a long drive and realize it's earlier and lighter out than you had accounted for. You know what I'm talking about. And that's the kind of fellowship that's taking place in town, out in the public spaces. You won't overhear anyone using the words dramaturgy or state inspection today. We're too busy getting along. It occurs to me that the laws are in the regions and the regions are in the laws, and it feels good to say this, something that I'm almost sure is true outside under the sun, than to say it again around friends in the resonant voice of a 19th century senator just for a lark. There's a shy looking fellow on the courthouse steps holding up a placard that says, but I kind of liked Reagan. His head turns slowly as a beautiful girl walks by, holding a refrigerator bottle up against her flushed cheek. She smiles at me, and I allow myself to imagine her walking into town to buy lotion at a brick pharmacy. When she gets home, she'll apply it with great lingering care before moving into her parlor to play 78 records and drink gin and tonics beside her homemade altar to James Madison. In a town of this size, it's certainly possible that I'll be invited over one night. In fact, I'll bet you something. Somewhere in the future, I'm remembering today. I'll bet you I'm remembering how I walked into the park at 5.30, my favorite time of day, and how I found two cold pitchers of just poured beer sitting there on the bench. And I am remembering how my friend Chip showed up with a catcher's mask hanging from his belt and how I said, great to see you, sit down, have a beer, how are you? And how he turned to me with the sunset reflecting off his contacts and said, wonderful, how are you? Welcome and thank you for listening to the April 2023 episode of L-Town Radio, the Livingston Public Library podcast. I'm Joe from the Adult Services and Acquisitions Department, and the voice you heard earlier belongs to our director, Amy Babcock, who read one of her favorite poems by the late great poet and musician David Berman. That's because April is National Poetry Month, and so to celebrate, we're going to devote this episode to poetry. So later on, you'll hear more of our librarians reading some of their favorite poems. And of course, as usual, you'll hear Jessica telling us about our upcoming book club discussions and the best new books making their way to the library this month. And Archana will tell us about some of the great lectures and presentations and other programs scheduled on our April calendar. And Hung May 
we'll play a special song for the newly arrived spring season. But before all that, I want to tell you about uh, how I was digging through the library's local history archives recently, as I often do, and I came across a VHS videotape, which included some episodes of a cable access program called Off the Shelf, which was produced by the folks at the Livingston Public Library all the way back in 1976. And one of these episodes contained a fascinating and in-depth conversation between Viola Stagg, who was a librarian here at the Livingston Library from 1959 until 1986, and Ruth Rockwood, who was our library director from 1957 to 1980. In this conversation, they spoke at length about poetry, and on top of how much I learned and took away from their conversation in general, I was also really struck by how relevant their conversation remains almost 50 years later. So I thought I would play that conversation for you on this month's episode, and here it is. cradle endlessly rocking, out of the mockingbird's throat, the musical shuttle, out of the ninth month midnight, over the sterile sands and the fields beyond, where the child, leaving his bed, wandered alone, bareheaded, barefoot, down from the showered halo, up from the mystic play of shadows twining and twisting as if they were alive, out from the patches of briars and blackberries, from the memories of the bird that chanted to me, from your memories, sad brother, from the fitful risings and fallings I heard, from under that yellow half-moon, late risen and swollen as if in, with tears, from those beginning notes of yearning and love there in the mist, from the thousand responses of my heart never to cease, from the myriad thence aroused words, from the words stronger and more delicious than any, from such as now they start the scene revisiting, as a flock twittering, rising, or overhead passing. Born hither, ere all eludes me hurriedly, a man, yet by these tears, a little boy again, throwing myself on the sand, confronting the waves. I, chanter of pains and joys, uniter of here and hereafter, taking all hints to use them, but swiftly leaping beyond them, a reminiscence sing. That is Out of the Cradle, Endlessly Rocking by Walt Whitman. Thank you, Mrs. Stagg, for that beautiful rendition of Walt Whitman's famous poem. Mrs. Viola Moss Stagg is a valued <coughs> member of the staff of the Livingston Public Library and has been with us almost 20 years. She grew up in Livingston, and ever since she was a little girl, she's had an abiding love of poetry. Isn't that true, Viola? Uh, what do you think starts, uh, when do you think a person should start being interested in poetry? At a very young age, I believe that uh, it begins with the nursery rhymes that the uh, parents so happily do with their children when they're very young. And, uh, Hopefully, this beginning ends up with a full-blown love for poetry. It is. We Hopefully. do hope that. Yes. Uh, could you give us an example of a, the type of nursery rhyme that attunes the child's ear to rhyme and rhythm and 
um, makes him or her recognize poetry? Well, usually on? it's something like patty cake in the beginning, patty cake, patty cake, and then um, Humpty Dumpty, Jack and Jill, and Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet eating her carrots and whey. Along came a spider and sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. That gives the rhyme. The rhyme and the rhythm, rhythm. that the children love. This um, book that I bought, I don't know if you have seen it before, it's called The Baby's Lap Book, and it has the nursery rhymes beautifully illustrated. I love the title, The Baby's Lap Book. Little Miss Moffat Jack Horner does list some and of those that and you've the read. Pastel pages. They're so pretty. And it just fits a lap, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, you do so many types of library work by uh, reference and working with young people and adults. How do you introduce, do you use poetry in your various phases of library work, and how do you? Well, I believe in using it in all story hours, and er every chance that a poem or a little rhyme or something will fit in, I believe in using it at all times, when, wherever there are children. I know you use them with the preschool yes. children. Yes. And I suppose we could even introduce a poem when we have classes learning about the card catalog. Oh, there must be a poem about the card catalog. I'm sure there is, somewhere. <laughs> uh, we've been talking about parents reading to their children. Uh, poetry is an oral art, isn't it, really? Oh, definitely oral. Should it be read aloud? It should be heard. Uh, should I suppose be heard. at all times. But after the children get a little older, and they become independent, say, going into the second and third grades. Mm -hmm. How do you lure them into reading poetry for themselves and to themselves? I think a, um, a good idea is to, first of all, let them read their old favorite copy of Nursery Rhymes. By then, they know most of the words, and they're reading something that's very familiar and beloved. And uh, they would um, really find joy, I think, in reading their own nursery rhymes and then go on from there. Uh, we have some, um, John Ciardi wrote several books uh, of um, rhymes with controlled vocabulary. Oh. And one is, I met a man. And the other is, you read to me and I read to you. I'll read to you. That sounds and interesting. This, this uh, book has poems with black print and poems with blue print. And it says in the beginning, um, all the poems printed in black, you read to me. All the poems printed in blue, I'll read to you. So that's for parents and children yes, or older together. people and children together. together. Can you give us an example of... The one in here that I thought was nice and the children seemed to love is, Mommy slept late and Daddy fixed breakfast. <laughs> Daddy fixed breakfast. He made us each a waffle. It looks like gravel pudding. It tasted something awful. Ha ha, he said. I'll try again. This time I'll get it right. But what I got was in between bituminous and anthracite. <laughs> a little too well done? Oh well, I'll have to start over. That time what landed on my plate looked like a manhole cover. I tried to cut it with a fork. The fork gave off a spark. I tried a knife and twisted it into a question mark. I tried it with a hacksaw. I tried it with a torch. It didn't even make a dent. It didn't even scorch. 
The next time Dad gets breakfast when Mommy's sleeping late, I think I'll skip the waffles. I'd sooner eat the plate. <laughs> That's darling, and I can see where that book would be fun for. So there are many that the children can read by themselves. What are some of the poets that they <clears throat> like at that stage in their uh, lives? Some of the poets are uh, um, Kate Greenaway, uh, Laura Richards, um, Eleanor Farjan, perhaps um, some of Carl Sandburg, and um, John Chiardi, Ogden Nash. Uh, yes. Well, those, those are all very well-known and popular, and it, they should be popular. We'll hear more of that conversation between Ruth Rockwood and Viola Stagg in just a moment, but first, we're going to take a short break. And speaking of poems for children, here's Melanie to recite one of her favorite poems. Hi, this is Melanie from the Youth Services Department. I'm going to be reading a uh, very popular French poem. It is called Chanson d'Automne, or uh, Song of Autumn, by Paul Verlaine. It was written in 1866, and uh, it's one of the most commonly learned poems uh, for French school children. So I'll read it in French first, and then I'll read the English translation. Les sanglots longs des violons de l'automne Bless mon cœur d'une longueur monotone. Tout suffocant et blême quand sonne l'heure, je me souviens des jours anciens et je pleure. Et je m'en vais au vent mauvais qui m'emporte de ça, de là, pareil à la feuille morte. The English translation is. When a sighing begins in the violins of the autumn song, my heart is drowned in the slow sound, languorous and long. Pale as with pain, breath fails me when the hours toll deep. My thoughts recover the days that are over, and I weep. And I go where the winds know, broken and brief, to and fro, as the winds blow a dead leaf. And uh, there's an interesting history with this song in that the um, BBC broadcast Radio Londres uh, that was uh, on air from 1940 to 1944 uh, broadcasted to occupied France during the war. And the first three lines of this poem were broadcast on June 1st, 1944 to signal the beginning of Operation Overlord to the French resistance. And then on June 5th, the second set of lines were broadcast indicating that the resistance should begin sabotaging the rail lines in advance of the troop movements, which would come the following day. So that is Chanson d'Automne. Thank you very much, Melanie, for that lovely reading, as well as that interesting bit of historical trivia there at the end. Before we get back to the conversation between Ruth Rockwood and Viola Stagg, let's hear from Jessica, the head of our Adult Services and Acquisitions Department, to tell us about some of the book club discussions you can join at the Livingston Library in the coming weeks. Hello, L-Town Radio listeners. Spring is the perfect time to join a book club. If you are interested in joining a book club, the Livingston Public Library is the place for you. The library currently has five book clubs, three of which meet virtually and two of which meet in person that appeal to a wide array of reading interests. Here's what our book clubs are reading this month. Monday, April 10th at 7 p.m., Crime Time. Crime Time meets virtually. This month, we will be reading People Who Eat Darkness by Richard Lloyd Parry. 
Wednesday, April 12th at 7 p.m., Bookish Vibes. Our Bookish Vibes book club meets virtually and will be reading Fellowship Point by Alice Elliot Dark, who will also be zooming into the discussion. Friday, April 14th at 12.30 p.m., Let's Talk About Books. Let's Talk About Books also meets virtually. This month, we will be discussing The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna. Thursday, May 6th at 11 a.m., Thrilling Tales. Our Thrilling Tales book club meets in person. This month, we will be reading The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo by Stag Larson. Wednesday, May 10th at 7 p.m., Cookbook Club. Cookbook Club also meets in person, and, is, and it is the perfect place to share ideas, kitchen tips, and yummy recipes. This month, we will be reading and sharing recipes from I Dream of Dinner by Allie Slagle. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming book clubs this spring. See you soon. Thank you very much, Jessica. And now here's part two of the conversation between Viola Stagg and Ruth Rockwood talking about poetry all the way back in 1976. The term passages has become popular uh, lately as a, uh, to use instead of the word crisis. And the passage from childhood to adolescence is fraught with emotion, isn't it? Yes. Uh, as Our young people. Yes. We know that so many of them in each generation seem to fall for books like The Prophet by Gilbran and uh, Rod McEwen's poems and uh, lyrics from pop music. Yes. I suppose, uh, critically, they wouldn't be considered, you know, great art, but do they have a, a role to play? They definitely serve a purpose, I think. I think it just, uh, it's a beginning. It gets them going on to different things. Yes. What is the attraction? Well, it's the emotional state, I believe, yes. that they're this sensitive, hypersensitive state that they're in, rebelling against parents and trying their wings, wings. in the world. I'm glad. I think it's important that they do read. Are there other poems that, at this stage that you recommend? Uh, for the young people, I think they they would be intrigued by Christy Brown, who um, uh, was incapacitated in that he didn't have arms and uh, typed with his toe, did all his typing. And some of his poems are quite lovely. He has three books of poetry now and a, and a book of fiction, I believe. Yes, Is he born in Ireland? Uh, yes, he was. He's Irish. What a remarkable achievement he has made to yes. overcome his yes. handicap. And then um, Grandfather Rock, the new poetry and the old by David Morse takes uh, lyrics from uh, some of the uh, contemporary singers of today and contrasts them with um, one of the older great poets. Well, that's it. And there's one here, for instance, by Joni Mitchell. And uh, the title of it is, I Think I Understand. Daylight falls upon the path, the forest falls behind. Today I'm not prey to dark uncertainty. The shadow trembles in its wrath. I robbed its blackness blind and tasted sunlight as my fears came to me. I think I understand. Fear is like a wilderland, stepping stones on sinking sand. Now the way leads to the hills above the steeples chime. Below me, sleepy rooftops round the harbor, for there, it's there I'll take my thirsty fill of friendships over wine, forgetting fear but never disregarding her. 
Oh, I think I understand. Fear is like a wilderland, stepping stones on sinking sand. Sometimes voices in the night will call me back again, back along the pathway of a troubled mind, when forests cease to rise to block the light that keeps the traveler sane. I'll challenge them with flashes from a brighter time. Oh, I think I understand. Fear is like a wilderland, stepping stones on sinking sand. And that's contrasted with Our Journey Had Advanced by Emily Dickinson. Our journey had advanced. Our feet were almost come to that odd fork in being's road, eternity by term. Our pace took sudden awe, our feet reluctant led. Before were cities, but between the forest of the dead. Retreat was out of hope, behind a sealed route, eternity's white flag before, and God at every gate. That is such an unusual idea. But this book is full of uh, of the current, the contemporary, kind of and the we perhaps ought to have more copies of that. That sounds it's very, very worthwhile. I'd young, like to read for that. For young people. Another form of poetry recently introduced into the Western world is haiku. I know that you and I have used that in the past, teaching children to write poetry, and uh, some critics claim it is worthless fragments, uh, blank and incomprehensible. Uh, but R. H. Blythe, who collected the initial four volumes in 1949, says that haiku is an open door that looks shut. Now, how do you feel about this uh, controversy? I believe that haiku is a lovely introduction to poetry, and uh, also I found that the children like to write it. They do. They do, and, and they, it, they've come up with some lovely things. And it is so I think it's it's valuable as a, an introduction to longer and more deeper, more involved poetry. Good. I'm glad to hear that because mm -hmm. uh, I know you've had fun with it in the past. Yes. Uh, as the Bible says, we become older and put away childish things. Uh, does that mean we have to leave poetry out of our lives? Oh, I hope not. I hope not. Uh, what do we do about... Uh, uh, the adult who's working and going to uh, work and he's older now, he's past adolescence, or he or she, both of them are going to work or setting up in jobs or at home. Is there, when do they have time to read poetry? And if so, what kind of poetry? Well, the person, can who, they read? the person who is really oriented to poetry will find it to read everywhere, in magazines, in newspapers, and they will make a real effort to, uh, their eyes will find it wherever they're, they're looking. And um, hopefully the, the one who is not oriented to poetry uh, will somehow stumble across it. There are thousands of books, the old, uh, true, and tried poets, and then the contemporary poets. And we also have several fine uh, poetry magazines in our magazine section. That's right. Yes. Uh, that you have an interesting collection there, don't you, about um, uh, preferences? Uh. Yes, this is a newer book, and it has um, many of the contemporary poets today and very fine pictures of them. Um, for instance. Why is it called preferences? Uh, it... Um, it takes some of the uh, modern poets and their own preferred uh, type of poetry and oh. then uh, some 
Uh, In other words, not necessarily their own no, poetry. No, Stanley Kunitz and Alan, Gin Alan Ginsberg is in here, and um, uh, that uh, Rainier, Maria Rilke. Uh, many of them are in here. Would you like me to read one of the poems? Uh, There's one you had told me about before, about mm. a man when he's 40 or something. Men of 40. Men at 40. This is by um, Donald Justice. Men at 40 learn to close softly the doors to room they will not be coming back to. At rest on a stair landing, they feel it moving beneath them now like a deck of a ship, though the swell is gentle. And deep in mirrors, they rediscover the face of the boy as he practices tying his father's tie there in secret. And the face of that father, still warm with the mystery of lather, there are more fathers than sons themselves now. Something is filling them, something that is like the twilight sound of the crickets, immense, filling the woods at the foot of the slope behind their mortgaged houses. Oh, how true, how true, as they say, God bless our mortgage tone. We'll hear the rest of Viola Stagg and Ruth Rockwood's discussion on poetry in a moment. But first, I'd also like to read some poetry by a couple of my favorite poets, if I may. You know, I really like that juxtaposition of the Joni Mitchell lyrics and the Emily Dickinson poem that Viola Stagg read a couple minutes ago. I thought that was such a cool idea. So I'm going to do something similar and read some poetic lyrics by one of my favorite songwriters of all time, Leonard Cohen, followed by a poem by Gregory Crosby one of my favorite poets writing today. First up is Come Healing. Uh, this is a song on Leonard Cohen's 2012 album, Old Ideas. It's also included in his book called The Flame, Poems, Notebooks, Lyrics, Drawings, which was published posthumously in 2018, two years after his death, and which is available in our print collection here at the library. So here is Come Healing by Leonard Cohen. Oh, gather up the brokenness and bring it to me now, the fragrance of those promises you never dared to vow, the splinters that you carry, the cross you left behind. Come healing of the body, come healing of the mind, and let the heavens hear it, the penitential hymn. Come healing of the spirit, come healing of the limb. Behold the gates of mercy in arbitrary space, and none of us deserving the cruelty or the grace. O solitude of longing, where love has been confined, come healing of the body, come healing of the mind. O see the darkness yielding that tore the light apart, come healing of the reason, come healing of the heart. O troubled dust concealing an undivided love, the heart beneath is teaching to the broken heart above. Oh, let the heavens falter and let the earth proclaim. Come healing of the altar, come healing of the name. Oh, longing of the branches to lift the little bud. Oh, longing of the arteries to purify the blood. And let the heavens hear it, the penitential hymn. Come healing of the spirit, come healing of the limb. Next, uh, I'm going to read Gregory Crosby's poem, which is titled 
pantoum for the unpublishable poem. By the way, a pantoum, if you don't already know, is a kind of poem where the second and fourth lines of each stanza are repeated as the first and third line of the following stanza. I actually wasn't aware of what a pantoum was before I read this poem, but I think it's such an interesting structure, and I hope you do too. Okay, pantoum for the unpublishable poem by Gregory Crosby. It starts with a quote from another poet, Gillian Brawl, that says, Let the so-called deterioration continue. Let me become an unpublishable poem. And now the poem. This ink isn't so invisible, not yet. Winter's been canceled, too warm by half. There's the black cat back from the vet. The ice cracks as you sink into the bath. Winter's been canceled, too warm by half. Your veins are warm with flowing ink. The ice cracks as you sink into the bath and cool the fever you didn't know you had. Your veins are warm with flowing ink. Tonight you put down the tigers of wrath. Cool the fever you didn't know you had and have another drink. Start, stop, think. Tonight you put down the tigers of wrath. The black cat limps across your path. Have another drink. Start, stop, think. The pen, it's chattering like teeth. The black cat limps across your path. Just your luck, the gathering storm. The pen, it's chattering like teeth. But the words, the words are warm. Again, that was Pantoum for the Unpublishable Poem by Gregory Crosby. It's from his collection titled Said No One Ever, which is published by Brooklyn Arts Press. That book is also available in our collection. It's part of our special indie collection. So come check it out if you'd like to read more of Gregory's poetry. And now let's have a little musical interlude, courtesy of Hong Mei. For a break time today, let's explore nature with music. We'll go into a beautiful garden, enjoying the natural sounds of birds chirping and brooks flowing. This soothing and peaceful piece of music is called Patch Bell in the Garden by Dan Gibson. Thank you very much for that, Hong Mei. Before we get back to Viola Stagg and Ruth Rockwood's discussion on poetry, let's bring back Jessica to tell us about some of the most anticipated books headed to our shelves in April. 
Are you as excited for the new books making their ways to our library shelves this spring as we are? Here's a sneak peek of what you can look forward to reading this April. Please note descriptions are taken from the publisher. The Soulmate by Sally Hepworth, April 4th. Get ready for a thrilling, addictive novel about marriage, betrayal, and the secrets that push us to the edge in Sally Hepworth's The Soulmate. Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfield, April 4th. A comedy writer thinks she's sworn off love until a dreamy pop star flips the script on all of her assumptions. A hilarious, observant, and deeply tender novel from the New York Times bestselling author of Eligible Rodham and Prep. The Trackers by Charles Frazier, April 11th. From the New York Times bestselling author of Cold Mountain and Verena, a stunning new novel that paints a vivid portrait of life in the Great Depression. The Seaside Library by Brenda Novak, April 11th. There are secrets that bring friends together, and there are others that drive them apart. Standing in the Shadows by Peter Robinson, April 11th. The 28th twisting installment in the DCI Alan Banks mystery series that Stephen King calls the best now on the market. On the Origin of Time by Thomas Hertog, April 11th. Stephen Hawking's closest collaborator offers the intellectual superstar's final thoughts on the cosmos, a dramatic revision of the theory he put forward in A Brief History of Time. Happy Place by Emily Henry, April 25th. A couple who broke up months ago pretends to still be together for their annual week-long vacation with their best friends in this glittering and wise new novel from number one New York Times bestselling author Emily Henry. The Last Word by Taylor Adams, April 25th. After posting a negative book review, a woman living in a remote location begins to wonder if the author is a little touchy or very, very dangerous in this post-pounding novel of psychological suspense and terror from the critically acclaimed author of No Exit and Hairpin Bridge. We would love to hear what you are most looking forward to reading this month. Next time you're at the library, stop by the reference desk to let us know. Thanks so much, Jessica. And now here's the conclusion of Viola Stagg and Ruth Rockwood's conversation on poetry from 1976. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said that a poet is isolated among his contemporaries by truth and by his art. This gives me the feeling that he felt that the poet was a lonely person sitting on top of a hill and rather out of the mainstream of life. Do you think that's true? Oh, I definitely don't think that's true. It may have been true in Ralph Waldo Emerson's day when the, com the country was still rather new and people were still uh, pioneering and trying their wings in this country. The poet might have been isolated because he certainly didn't make his living at writing poetry in those days. Uh, but today, it's a completely different, different story. I'm glad. I hate to think of that loneliness, although I think sometimes uh, the person who reads poetry enjoys the solitude of sharing the, the poem with, with the, uh, the writer in his, wherever his solitude is. Mm. Um, to, uh, to sum it all up, or before I sum it up, I want to ask you particularly, by, uh, because I think our viewers would be interested, how have you promoted poetry here in this library? Well, we have, for the 
past few years, as you know, had a poetry workshop during the summer. Mm -hmm. And children sign up to uh, take that, and it's usually from fourth grade on. And uh, they, um, they are children who are interested and who like to write poetry, although I want them this summer to uh, try listening to a little bit more. And then we will go into writing some of their things. I think our viewers would be interested in the fact that you are broadening your scope each year and perhaps will include adults in the future. Now we have to sum it up, I'm afraid, and uh, we're getting to the end of the program. Poetry, I, I, as I see it from what you've been telling us today, is something we should have from cradle to grave. Definitely. And uh, I don't want to be morbid, but as we do get older, we do sometimes have to live with our children or live in nursing homes. And uh, I wonder, is there a place in the lives, is there in the place in the lives of these older people for poetry? Well, Kenneth Koch has found that there is a wonderful place for poetry in, in the lives of older people. This is his third book of poetry, and in this book, he writes about his uh, working in a nursing home with uh, older people, many of them in wheelchairs and many of them quite old, and who are remembering their childhood. What is the name again? I Never Told Anybody, Teaching Poetry Writing in a Nursing Home. Well, I'd like to read that. Yes, it's very interesting. Uh, do you have a sample of that? I have of a sample. Poems? This is written by an elderly lady. Of moon, oh moon and stars, I loved to watch you when I was a child. I would watch you through my little window and wonder and worry what would happen if you got hurt. And next time I'd say, oh, you're still living. To see you hanging up there sliding in the sky, I was happy. I used to watch you through the trees. Then you went down the hills until you disappeared. Then I was sad. I wondered again if you'd come again. That's beautiful. Yes. And it just shows that being creative is something you can do at, till the end of your life, really. Yes, it's and, true. And, and perhaps reveal some hidden talent that you never thought you had, like Grandma Moses did with yes. painting. Fi, we're closing our program now, and before we do, I want to express my appreciation to you for sharing some of your deep love and knowledge of poetry with all of the viewers on Cablevision. The library is a richer place for having someone like Mrs. Dagg on the staff. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ruth. Again, that was Viola Stagg, former Livingston librarian, talking poetry with former Livingston library director, Ruth Rockwood, from the library's own cable access show, Off the Shelf, originally recorded in 1976. Now, if you'd like to explore more materials like that from our local history archive, be it videotape, audio tape, books, photographs, or other historical documents, be sure to stop by our reference desk and speak to one of our current librarians. Okay, we have a couple more poems to share before we wrap up this episode, so let's welcome back Jessica to the show for the third time this episode. She'll be reading a poem by Langston Hughes. Waterfront Streets by Langston Hughes. The spring is not so beautiful there, but dream ships sail away to where the spring is wondrous rare and life is gay. The spring is not so beautiful there, but lads put out to sea who carry beauties in their hearts and dreams like me.
Very nice. Thank you again, Jessica. And before we get to our last poem, let's take a short break and hear from Archana to tell us about some of the programs, lectures, and presentations on our calendar for April. Hello, listeners. Wishing all of you a very happy spring. I'm delighted to share with you some of the highlights of programs for adults being offered in April. On April 3rd at 7 p.m., we present Bruce Springsteen, born in New Jersey. Springsteen is a singer, songwriter, and performer who's known for his brand of heartland rock infused with pop hooks, poetic lyrics, and Americana sentiments centered on his native New Jersey and narrative songs about working-class American life. During a career that has spanned six decades and seen the release of 21 studio albums, Springteen has become known for his poetic, socially conscious lyrics and energetic stage performances. How fitting that just on March 21st, Springsteen received the National Medal of Arts at the White House for his contributions to American music and culture. In this illustrated slide presentation that includes audio recordings, you will travel with Springsteen from his early days in Freehold, New Jersey, to his rise on the world stage as a superstar rock hero. Music historian Vincent Bruno's focus will be on songs from his most commercially successful period from the 70s into the 80s. From his wall of sound influence in Born to Run, to the lost working class man facing a spiritual crisis in Born in the USA, and including songs written by Springsteen and performed by other artists, Bruno will examine the amazing legacy of this award-winning and best-selling music artist. Then on April 24th at 7 p.m., we present the Garden State in Bloom. You will take an armchair tour of some splendid gardens in our state and perhaps add them to your itinerary this spring and summer. Join professional photographer and publisher Walter Chorzewski as he traces the path taken in creating his award-winning book, The Garden State in Bloom, and showcases the beautiful public gardens of New Jersey. Walter will present colorful photographs and historical information about his favorite public gardens here in our garden state. There are a couple of daytime programs I would also like to share with you next. Now, April is the month when we celebrate Earth Day, when we become even more conscious of the importance of the environment and our responsibility towards safeguarding it. The theme for Earth Day this year is Invest in Our Planet, where everyone is urged to play their part in contributing to a green, prosperous and equitable future. One of the ways we can do this is by integrating sustainability into our daily lives. And that is the topic of our next talk on April 12th at 11 a.m. Sustainability is the ability to exist in a just and equitable society and develop without depleting natural resources for the future. Sustainable practices support ecological, human and economic health and vitality. In this session, presenter Sheila Watamwar, the creator of the website Sustainable Me, will introduce you to the issue of sustainability, why it is important, and what we as individuals can do to transform sustainability into a lifestyle. She will show how we can integrate sustainable products and behaviors throughout our everyday lives and positively impact our society and conserve our environment in so many important ways, whether it be reducing plastic, water and pollution, combating water shortage and supporting equality. Sheila's background is also in sustainable investing, so she will walk us through how this landscaping has evolved, some of the issues that investors can pay attention to when thinking about their portfolio, 
and she will provide examples of sustainable funds. The last program I would like to focus on is on the vital topic of sleep and sleep hygiene, and that is on April 26th at 2 p.m. This is part of a health and wellness series in collaboration with Barnabas Cooperman Medical Center. Now, getting enough sleep is not a luxury. It is something people need for good health. Sleep plays a crucial role in improving our physical and mental well-being. Research shows that 40% of Americans have difficulty sleeping a few times per week, while one in three say insomnia, insomnia strikes nearly every night. Not getting enough sleep is linked to many chronic diseases and conditions that threaten our nation's health. It can also lead to motor vehicle crashes and mistakes at work, which cause a lot of injury and disability each year. Join Jackie Morgado, lead technologist at the Center for Sleep Disorders at Barnabas to learn about common sleep disorders that affect many people, the effect of sleep on your health and ways to sleep better. She will offer tips on how to develop good sleep habits that can help improve your sleep health. Hope to see you all at the library for these and other events in April. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Archana. We're almost at the end of the show, but we have one more poem to share with you. This one is going to be read by Danielle, who's the head of our technology department, and she's going to be reading another poem by the great Emily Dickinson. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant by Emily Dickinson. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight. The truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased with explanation kind. The truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. Thank you very much, Danielle. Well, that'll do it for this episode of L-Town Radio. Thanks again to Amy, Jessica, Melanie, Hongmei, Archana, and Danielle for your contributions. Thanks to Ruth Rockwood and Viola Stagg, wherever you are. And of course, thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I hope you'll tune in again next month. Remember, you can listen to and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can read our daily blog at livingstonlibrary.org slash blog. You can visit our full website, livingstonlibrary.org, to search our catalog, browse our events calendar, or use any one of our many, many digital resources 24 hours a day. And of course, we're open seven days a week for all your librarian needs, so I hope you'll come down and see us in person. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, and stay curious.